So, you slept in. Hey, we're not judging. Sometimes you just need to get a little more sleep. And if you do need to get a little bit more sleep, we would much rather you did that at home in your warm, comfortable bed than in our pews. You can always catch up with the sermon later, right here on this Sunday Morning Sleep In podcast. Now, you'll miss out on some things we think are pretty cool, like intergenerational community and the support and encouragement that that can bring, inspiring music, and charming children. And we won't be able to give you any cookies at coffee hour, but we'll give you what we can. I'm Chris Marshall. And I'm Susan Foster. And we are United Methodist Pastors in Reno, Nevada. We're not theological experts or preaching paragons. We are your average pastors, helping our congregations think through life's big questions every week. We started this podcast, so if you're away from home or working, or perhaps you've been you've made a commitment to coach your kids' soccer team, maybe just sleeping in, you can keep up with some of the ideas floating around our churches. So each episode is a conversational version of the sermon we gave on Sunday. So whatever day it is when you're listening to this, we hope that you are comfortable and relaxed and keep an open mind because we think you're going to need it. Quick note on that open mind thing. We hope you will keep an open mind, but we actually don't care whether you agree with us or not, but we want you to engage. We want you to to experience and to think what we're talking about. And our hope is that you will, through that, experience the loving force in the world that we know is God moving in your life. All right. So we both preached the same scripture this week. So you're going to get two takes, hopefully. You're going to get two different takes on the same scripture, which is always cool and fun. We're crossing our fingers, at least. Yeah, we hope. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise, this is going to be a very boring week for folks. No, I don't think we're ever boring. (laughs) Maybe a little. Yeah, on the pastor scale, definitely we're less boring. But we are both preaching on the Beatitudes and... In my church, we're starting a six-week series on the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus's sermon uh, in Matthew chapter five through chapter seven. So we're breaking it breaking it up a little bit and talking about each part in turn. And the first part is the Beatitudes. Now, the Beatitudes are probably very familiar to you. You've probably seen them cross-stitched on somebody's pillow somewhere. My mom used to cross-stitch. I don't remember if the Beatitudes were one of the things on our walls, but I remember. It being around a lot. I could totally see your mom doing that one. When I was a kid. I know we had the fruits of the spirit. It took her a while and she framed it in the dining room. I remember this. Okay. And mother, I know you are probably listening. I love that one. So this is not a criticism, but I remember the cross-stitching of various scriptures, which I think is cool. You spend a lot of time with them. You get to absorb them. Yeah. It's Um, a nice spiritual practice. But being the kind of kid that I was, when I saw things like the Beatitudes or the fruits of the spirit or the gifts of the spirit, I sort of thought of all of those as checklists. Like <laughs> You thought they were a checklist, you know, Chris? You know how much I like my checklists, but hashtag I... Hashtag Habitica. Yeah, well, yes, hashtag Habitica. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I'm working on a skeleton axolotl right now. I think it's going to be pretty cool. In any case, I love to-do lists, but I, I don't think it's helpful to think of scripture as a to-do list. Right. I don't think it's helpful to think of it as laws. I don't think it's helpful to think of it as the map. I've often heard people talk about scripture is the map for how you find God. And I think those are all problematic images. Very problematic. Because scripture is written by many different people at many different times for many different reasons. And so I prefer to think of scripture as a conversation partner. Definitely. Scripture is... A compilation of many people's stories over a really long period of time. Really long period of time. 
all saying, this is how I have experienced God. Right. Here's what I think God wants from us. And I, I so I don't think it's, it's, so it's more like, like it's more like a, a book of essays on the trail than uh, about being on the trail or experiencing the trail than it is about the trail book. Right. Yes. So having said that, the Beatitudes can be one of those things that we turn into a checklist. And yeah. I don't think that is what it's supposed to be. However, I do think that it is an invitation to a new way of looking at how we engage the world. And that through looking at it through these lenses, we might actually see our call more clearly, our gratitude more clearly, and understand our place in the world a little more clearly. So uh, for those of you who are not familiar with the scripture, the Beatitudes start with like, blessed are the poor, or if you're in Matthew, poor in spirit, blessed are the meek and humble, blessed are the, those who mourn, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. And then all of these things that don't seem awesome. Blessed are these people doesn't seem like something you'd want to be. Right. I don't want to be in mourning. I don't want to be poor uh, or poor in spirit. I don't want to be meek. Um, these are not necessarily things that we value, right. particularly in our culture. But right. in general, I don't think you could go back through any time in in history and say, man, we love those meek people. <laughs> they don't usually make it into the history books, books right? right? So like the well-behaved women, right. quote, rarely make history. These beatitudes, aren't, they can't be a checklist, but they can be an invitation to an alternative way of being hashtag alternative life. Um, and I think they build on one another. So you can't really take them individually. Definitely. Like you sort of have to take them as a whole because there's a natural progression as you mm -hmm. move through them. Yeah. Uh, that help you live into a new way of being. For example, blessed are those who mourn. We often think of mourning as what? Like our personal grief. Like like the personal like experience. somebody has died. Right. Right. Usually mourning is somebody has died. And so I think it's important for us to realize like mourning is a lot bigger than that. Mm -hmm. Grief is a cycle that we are constantly going through all the time. And it doesn't always look like the five stages. Grief is anytime we go through a change. Grief yeah. is anytime something doesn't live up to our standards. Mm -hmm. Grief is anytime, and this is just off the top of my head, our political leaders don't lead in the way that we should. Right. That's all grief. That's all mourning. And so when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. For they will be comforted. I, yeah. I like to think of it as blessed are those who are not afraid to call it like it is, to recognize that this is not ideal, whether that's Blessed are those who are willing to recognize that they are missing something that they held dear. Or blessed are those who can see that the world that we're living in falls far short of the righteousness of the kingdom of God. Yeah. Like that that's all mourning. Yep. But that it starts with, blessed are you who are willing to see things the way they are and not to be in denial about those things. Not to pretend like everything is okay and therefore you can kind of sit back. But blessed are those who are willing to engage, even though emotionally it can be a little draining. <laughs> and, you you know, it's not a preferred state of being. Right. It is not a preferred state of being. And so Jesus calls those folks blessed. And blessed is not like a command. It's like you are blessed because despite the fact that you're in this unideal state of being, it has opened this window for you to see things in this way. The same thing about humble, like those who are humble, those who are meek. We don't often think of like, yay, I want to be meek when I grow up. But um, <laughs> I like to think of humility the way C.S. Lewis thinks of humility, which is to not think less of yourself, 
to not beat yourself up for right. all of the things that are wrong right. with you, but to think of yourself less. Right. So what is it? Blessed are the... Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So they will a, inherit the earth. So it's also, it's not thinking less about yourself. It's also thinking, um, it's thinking that you, that you're not better right. than anyone else. Exactly. And the commentary that I was reading that I really appreciated said, when, when you don't take up all the space... You can see things from somebody else's perspective. Whoa. What you a might concept. even be able to see things from God's perspective without mm-hmm. twisting it into your own. Um, and so when you say blessed are the meek, blessed are the humble, blessed are the people who know the space they need to take up and can right. make room for other people to take up space. Right. Uh, and I think that that's huge because it means that you are continually open to growing in the knowledge of God and the knowledge of the world. So these two things, you can see, sort of, like, begin to build on each other. Oh, yeah. Blessed are you when you can see the world the way it is, when you can make room to see how other people see the world. Right. And then you can keep moving. I'm not going to move through all of them, but you can keep moving through them in this way. And they sort of build from this place of seeing the world the way it is, seeing the gospel the way it is. Right. To doing something about About it. it. And then to not being defensive when other people people. don't receive that well. (laughs) Right? Yep. There's this progression through through these Beatitudes. And so the three principles that I talked about for living into this spirit, for being part of the world without being shaped by the world, mm-hmm. were simplicity, mm-hmm. hopefulness, okay. and compassion. Okay. So simplicity has become quite popular these oh, days. Yes. Yes. Which is funny because Susan and I have both helped each other move and organize kitchens and everything else. And so we know that... The simplicity of what we own is not necessarily like the end all be all. Oh. Susan is not allowed to buy any more bowls. Oh, no bowl, no more bowls. And no I am bowls. not allowed to buy any more scarves. No, but we we both go nope nope when we see when we're in the store together. So there's some there's something to that to to knowing what you need and not going beyond it. But simplicity is not just about throwing Items. away everything that doesn't give you joy. Right. That book came out and everybody started reading it. In fact, one of my small groups just finished reading it and they all go, this woman must not have any stuff right. at all. And I think, man, if I threw out everything that didn't give me joy, I wouldn't be able to do laundry anymore. <laughs> right, right, right. Like, this definition of joy has got to be pretty specific. You know, I wouldn't clear. be able to wash the dishes anymore. anymore. I wouldn't be able to do a lot of things that I should probably do. Right. I wouldn't have any of my tax paperwork. <laughs> That's exactly. important. That's stuff that's important. That's actually important. Yeah. Yeah. So so simplicity is not just about stuff. Simplicity is about um, hearing the words of Jesus for what they are. Okay. And not what we would prefer them to be. Ooh, that one's hard. Mm. Because we all come with our own lenses, right? We all come right. with our own prejudices, but to try and let them have space. And, and and I think one of the things we have to be careful there, it just this just popped into my head to think about, is we talk about simplicity, we need to not conflate that when we're talking about scripture mm-hmm. with the idea that a simple idea, right? Because right. um, I think about what just popped in my mind is I it's when I when I lead Bible study mm-hmm. and I'll ask a question and I get back what I call the Sunday school answer. Ooh, right. Yes. So, and 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 we could mistake the Sunday school answer for simplicity, right? And that's not actually what we're talking about. Exactly. What we're talking about is hearing it, seeing it clearly. Right. Simply hearing it versus hearing it through the lens of... This is the right answer. This is the right answer. This is what she wants me to say. Right. Because I think sometimes that's when we get stuck in dogma. Absolutely. The story that I told about it is shout out to Jarrell Wilson, 
who is one of my my, uh, favorite people in Kindred, who uh, lives in Chicago right now. He's serving at Urban Village as an intern, I think. He's an African-American, out, gay, sassy, incredibly intelligent human being who is in the United Methodist ordination process, and we are all rooting for him in that. Jarrell um, often posts things on Facebook that make me think. Mm -hmm. I don't agree with everything he posts, but most of it I do. And he offers some perspective on this that I think is helpful. The other day he posted something about when he was a kid in math class. He used to hate math because he would know the right answer. And he would write down the right answer, and then the teacher would say what? Show your work. Show me your work. And he said, but he's he's finding that comes in handy now, because <laughs> he says, I know all these Christians who say, you know, racism is a sin. And he responds with, show me your work. Oh. Uh, LGBTQ lives are sacred, just like everybody else's life. Show me your me work. work. You know? And so to be able to say, how do you back up whatever your stances are? Mm-hmm. Not by twisting scripture to fit into them, but how how does what you believe about the world come out of scripture? How is it rooted in scripture rather than scripture being something that we slap on it at the last minute? Right. Well, what also comes to mind is uh, is the the movement of resistance in, in Central and South America mm-hmm. uh, that was based in scripture and based in really reading the experience of what Jesus actually was saying right. versus what we've been told. Right. Well, and what, what we, sometimes, and this is this yeah. is on us, the religious leadership will say it means, means right. instead of letting people have access to it themselves, right. which is why we keep encouraging you to think Make for yourself. yourself to, right. Like we give you the scripture references. We want you to look them up and see what you think right. it's about because it's dangerous when one person has all the control about what something means. Right. So to let Jesus's words speak to you might mean you have to crack a Bible. <gasps> I know. I know. It might mean you have to read them. Um, to understand what Jesus's words mean, but it starts with simplicity. And so this, this humility stuff, this mourning stuff means starting with what is actually true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What actually holds? Because it might not be simple, but oh, we yeah. might need to clear away or at least name some of our prejudices when we come to that. And that's why it's also helpful to do these things in community mm-hmm. because somebody else is not going to have the same lens that you do necessarily. By hearing the scripture through their perspective, you might begin to understand your own lens better. Right. Why you differ from them in that. Anyway, so the first principle for living into this beatitude spirit is simplicity. The second one is hopefulness. Okay. Jürgen Moltmann. I know, it's always fun when you get to have a good Moltmann quote in a sermon. Jürgen Moltmann says, The death knell of the church is when her anger turns to cynicism. Mm -hmm. Now, you've heard of righteous anger. Mm-hmm. But I don't know anybody who has ever uttered the phrase righteous cynicism. <laughs> because as much as I enjoy snark and satire, and I think those both have an important part to play. Right. They have because, a very specific role, though. Yeah, they get to say the emperor has no clothes, clothes, right? They get to call out some truth. Cynicism is anger that has accepted the way things are. Oof. And mm-hmm. the example I used is the movie Hidden Figures. I was surprised at how few of my people had seen Hidden Figures. Oh, really? And so I told them to just leave, like, just in the middle of the sermon. Just you go. Just go. It's just across go. the street. It'll be playing in 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah, just go see Hidden Figures, please. Uh, it's just such an amazing movie about these uh, three black women who are working at NASA in the early 60s. And they were computers. They were human computers. They did all the math for all of the space missions. And this uh, woman, uh, I believe it was Katherine Johnson, got promoted into this room where she worked with all white men Mm. and her experience of having to use a separate coffee urn and having to run across campus 20 minutes to find a bathroom that she could use 
because there were no colored women's bathrooms in the building that she was working in. Um, And all of the just micro and macro aggressions that she and her fellow women of color faced in those days in NASA. And to some extent, still in the STEM field. Oh, I'm sure. Yes. So these three women were kind of trailblazers, but they still had to deal with all of this stuff all the time. And the thing they kept hearing over and over again was that's just the way things are. That's just the way things are. And that's so cynical. Right. Because it's saying, well, that's just the things, the way things are. We don't have to change them. Right. It's already set up. Why would we change it? Whereas anger is saying, that might be the way things are, but that doesn't make it right. Right. And I love this moment in the movie where she stands up to her supervisor. He's insinuating that she is lazy because <laughs> she's gone so much. And she says, well, it takes me 45 minutes to go to the bathroom. What do you expect? And she shouts at him on the floor. And it's this beautiful moment. He begins to realize the challenges that she faces because she is different. Uh-huh. And because he has Different never from had, him. Different from him and everybody else in the room. Right. And he has never had to face... Any of it. That kind of segregation. Uh, and so he takes a sledgehammer to a sign in, in the hallway that says colored women's bathroom. And it's this really triumphant moment. And everybody cheers for him. I don't know why they don't cheer for, for her. her. And she curses him out because she's the one who has to bring well. his attention to all this stuff. Well... You can cheer for both of them. It's okay. Cheer for you can cheer for Kevin Costner, and you can swoon a little if you need to do that. But, but recognize that it was her anger yeah. at the situation rather than her cynicism, cynicism that helped that change. And then he ruins it by saying, "We all pee the same color at NASA," which made me laugh, and nobody else in the theater laughed. That's really gross. It was anyway. kind of a way to ruin the moment, Kevin. But okay. Yeah, um, probably was really what's was said. I mean, that's the, probably the real true apocryphal tale, right, right? Of how it went down. Right. And so anger, rather than cynicism, is actually a sign of hope. Right. Because, because once we're, means, cy- we're, we're cynical, we've accepted it. Yeah. It means that you believe things have the opportunity to be different. Things can change. And God is still working. Mm-hmm. God has not given up on the situation. Uh, so for me, hopefulness was really important when you come to to look at the Beatitudes. So this simplicity idea, letting things be the way they are, um, letting Jesus's words stand the way they are, and then hopefulness, assuming that if Jesus's words describe a world that is different from our own, it doesn't mean we should give up hope on changing our world to make, the, make it look like this mm-hmm. kingdom of God yeah. idea, justice and peace and hope and love and joy and all those things that Jesus describes. And then the third thing was compassion. Okay. Now, compassion is different than sympathy. Yes, it different is. Different than Definitely. pity. Oh, yeah. I said, I said, Methodist, you will understand this. Pity is saying, oh, that stinks. Mm-hmm. Sympathy is saying, oh, that stinks. Here's a casserole. Mm-hmm. And compassion is saying, oh, that stinks. Let me sit with you and see things from your perspective and feel your pain with you. And maybe together we can make a difference. Yeah. So compassion is really about getting involved on an emotional level with what's going on, not just kind of as a passing thing, but but to really sit with it. It means literally to suffer with. with. So compassion is stepping out and trying to um, feel the feels so that you might be compelled to action. And what the Beatitudes then remind us is when you are compelled to action, you might face resistance. Mm-hmm. You might face persecution. Mm-hmm. You might face uh, broken relationships with people who want to uphold the order the way it is. Mm -hmm. But that if you know who you are in God, in the simplicity of the words of Jesus, and if you have hope for a better world, compassion is to be able to say, I think this is more important. And that's really hard to hear for a lot of people because we'd love it to be easy. Oh, yeah. But it's not easy. 
I heard a statistic the other day and I checked it at the time and I don't remember who posted it, but it was something like only 1% of white clergy got involved in the civil rights movement. Yeah. And, and only, and most of them were probably on the West coast <laughs> and only 12% of those had the support of their congregations. Right. So to say that doing what's right should be easy ignores history. Right. Because doing what's right often comes at a great cost. There's some of that DNA. Uh, it reminds me of the um, farm labor movement. It, it's been 45 years and uh, we, we're still struggling with some of that in our congregations. It's fascinating and it isn't quick, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So we talked about compassion is recognizing the common humanity of all people, even the people that we should think are lesser than ourselves. And Oh man, is it easy to make connections to what's going on in the world right now? Because we have a president who just issued an executive order that tried to keep legal immigrants out of our country, tried to cut off all refugees, um, citing terrorism, even though zero Zero. terrorists in the United States have been refugees. They've all come in legally through other channels. Tried to cut off trade with a bunch of Middle Eastern countries, despite the fact that none of those were countries from which any of the terrorists who tacked on 9-11 came, and the ones that he exempted were the ones from which the terrorists came and in which he has business dealings. And so to face the corruption and also to recognize the way that some of our political leaders try to access fear to get us to behave in ways that are exclusionary and definitely discompassionate, uncompassionate, that it's important for us to be able to call that out Yeah, and to find ways to do that. You know, the Bible contradicts itself on a lot of things. Uh, You can Mm -hmm. argue all day about human sexuality. You can argue all day about whatever you want. Really? Women's rights. You can argue all day about a lot of things, but immigration is not Not one one of of the things that the Bible has more than one take on. Immigration is so clear in the Bible. Refugees are the founders of our faith in the Bible. In fact, I created a meme and I made it my, my Facebook profile this week. But it's just a list of names. <laughs> Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. Cain. Yep. Noah. Mm-hmm. Abraham and Sarah. Mm-hmm. Lot. Hagar. Mm-hmm. Ishmael. Mm-hmm. Isaac and Rebecca. Mm-hmm. Jacob. Joseph. Mm-hmm. Moses. Mm-hmm. All of Israel. Mm-hmm. Naomi. Ruth. David. Mm-hmm. Elijah. All of Israel. Again. Again. Nehemiah. Ezra. Esther and Mordecai. Jeremiah. Ezekiel. Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or if you are a VeggieTales fan, Rackshack and Benny, (laughs) Jonah, Jesus, Mary and Joseph, the early church, Philip, Peter, Aquila, and Priscilla, all of Israel, still, Uh, still. all of these people are refugees, are immigrants at some point. Our story is that of refugees, and the Bible is so clear about that. And so if we live by these beatitudinal invitations, if we live the life of blessing, we recognize what the words of Jesus, what the words of scripture actually tell us about who we are and what we're called to do. Yep. And then we seek to do, that. Um, to do that because we have hope that things can become more like the kingdom of God that we imagine. And it requires compassion. It requires sometimes suffering with and taking a stand, even when it's not easy. But the beatitudes are really about being able and, to do and that. I, I want to make sure that we realize that compassion sometimes actually costs us something. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like I think we need to say that because I think we we forget. We think, "Oh, it's not easy." But 
It is going to cost us something. It will cost us something. And it should. Yeah. Wrapped up with a quote from one of my very favorite songs, the beautiful Letdown, which was a Switchfoot song in the late 90s, I believe, maybe the early 2000s. Uh, but the lyric the lyric goes like this. It was a beautiful letdown when I crashed and burned, when I found myself alone, unknown, and hurt. It was a beautiful letdown the day I knew that all the riches this world had to offer me would never do. Hmm. So the Beatitudes are about this beautiful letdown kind of life. It's about recognizing that the world is not where it should be, and it can be, and by... Engaging in the work that will help it get there, we find ourselves blessed. Yes. And it is beautiful. Definitely is. But we have work to do. Yes. So So. Christians, people of faith, people who are not quite sure but are listening to this podcast anyway, um, we have work to do. And I think that um, there's plenty of work to go around. So we welcome your help. Yes. As we try to do what we believe God calls us to do and has called us to do all throughout scripture and even to this day. Well, thanks for listening to this Sunday morning sleep in podcast. If you have questions for us or stories, perhaps that relate to the topics we've been discussing today, we've got an email Sunday morning sleep in at gmail.com. We're also on, on iTunes and Google play and we're on Facebook. You can catch us at Sunday morning sleep and you can message us through the website. So we're, we're all over the place, right? The scripture for this passage, this uh, podcast was Matthew 5, 1 to 12. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we recommend if you don't own a Bible, you can write up to Bible Gateway on the uh, on your computer and uh, see a whole bunch of different versions of it too, which is also Absolutely. really fascinating for this passage. Yeah, and, and for many passages, and I wanted to say this to you, for many passages that are so familiar to us, it is sometimes helpful to hear them in a different way and so this is one of those passages where i would suggest you read it in the niv the nrsv you know some of those standards maybe even the kjv king james version and then read it in the message which is a paraphrase uh, but it totally reorients the words and puts them in in a different way so that you hear them in a different way which is helpful yeah and the theme music you're hearing is um take me higher by jazar it is traditional at the end of a service for the preacher to give a blessing to the congregation and as you are my congregation dearest listeners this blessing is for you may you be beautifully let down may you realize that the standards that the world judges you by the standards that the world judges other people by are parlously awful <laughs> there is a better and more beautiful way and it involves recognizing how loved you are even when things are not going right recognizing that you are seen and known even in those moments when everybody else thinks that you are not blessed, to recognize that God is present with you and there is a call on your life to live into this world in a different way. So may you love every person you meet, even the ones you might not think deserve it, because God thinks they do, and they might be a window for you into a blessing. Amen. Amen.